Hey folks, Force Captain Meff here with some very exciting news. We here at Heyadora are launching our Patreon. We have all sorts of really cool perks for everybody. We have bonus episodes, live hangouts, Facebook groups, exclusive playlists, and like so, so much more. So join the rebellion and become a patron of Heyadora. You can find the link to our Patreon at heyadora.gay. That's right, dot gay. Hey folks, and welcome to Hey Adora, your queer She-Ra podcast. I'm Force Captain Math of they, them. And I am Princess Jenny, she, her. And today we are discussing Season 1, Episode 12, Light Hope, or Hack the Planet. Yes, that's a good one. All right, where are we? We are in the Crystal Castle. Yes, we're picking up exactly where we left off at the end of the last episode. Well, not exactly, exactly. The scene before the end where Adora let go of the ledge. She let go. (laughs) She let go. So what happened next? So Adora is yelling and falling through the tunnel of traumatic memory. Mm-hmm. We have Shadow Weaver and Glimmer and Bo and Sweet Baby Catra saying every hero needs a sidekick, right? right? And, you know, of course, the entrapped refrain of, I just need a little more time! Yeah. Because as we know, this is the, you know, the falling, tr- the, the falling trauma tunnel. Yes, this is like the reverse birth canal. Yeah, <laughs> first birth canal. <laughs> Would that be like... She's going back into an inside place to work this shit out. And it's like, oh. it's traumatizing. It's oh. not liberating. No, you're, oh, oh, I like that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's the, the falling trauma tunnel is the reverse birth canal. I like that. All right. Well, we always have our own unique take on things. That's why we're so good together. That's why we vibe. Yes. So she's just screaming and falling in blackness until she opens her eyes and realizes that she's not falling anymore. She yeah. is standing yep. in Light Hope's bi-hologram chamber. <laughs> which, the hologram chamber of bisexual, bisexual lighting and uh, bisexual art deco. holograms, yes. Bisexual hologram lighting and art deco design. Yes, yes, it's beautiful. And so the first little banter conversation that she has is basically like the question of, is this real? Which is a really delicious conversation to be having in this moment. But I also love, like, the way she comes to it. It's like, oh, Light Hope, you know, finally seeing you. Well, I've seen you in my brain, I think. But but this is real. Is this real? Like, all of that, just to be like, okay, but is this real? Was that other thing real? What do we think of as real, even? Right. And then we see, like, towards, like, at the end of the episode that she's in, like, this, like, laying on this table type of situation. She's still in the holodeck chamber. It doesn't make sense, though, because we saw them both walk in and immediately speak to another hologram when they had just walked in. Right. So do you think like when she was let go, she then kind of like fell and then like, yeah, maybe was knocked out. That's exactly what I was thinking. She fell And maybe she was captured by a built-in part of the system that was like, you know, a beam. And then it places her gently on the holodeck pad. And then it proceeds from there. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. And then Light Hope talks directly into her brain. Yes. Because she can. Yeah. I don't know what the point of that was even. Because she also is able to project herself as a hologram just in the room but she wanted to be able to show adora anything she wanted that was probably easier inside her brain 
Yeah. Also, I think that this may just be another indication of magic. Indeed. It could be that. It just might be magic. It just might be magic, folks. So we have Adora questioning reality, as we all do. Yes, as we all do. And I started to go down a rabbit hole with, like, marks and the camera obscura. And, you know, how do you codify what is real? Things that create real experiences and real conditions are real, right? If it affects you. Yep. But, you know, then I realized that I was spinning way too deep and we still have to talk about what happens in the episode. So I let it go for now, but we will definitely come back to that. Oh, I wanted to talk about that because I love using the phrase instead of things being real and not real, being um, uh, real in the observable universe. What's the observable universe? The reality that we are all consenting to and therefore are all observing together. Oh, that's tough, because how do we know that we're all consenting to the same thing, Meth? Ah, see, there we go. (sighs) Let's get weird. No, I was talking more about, like, in class consciousness in a classical, in a theory way, with, you know, Marx and the camera obscura. You know, this is the whole social political theory that relates to the old timey camera that actually is just based on your eye, that when you put Mm -hmm. images through this filter, it projects in reverse. And so that was a metaphor for people, individuals feeling alienated from the products of their own labor, or even from their life in society, feeling alienated from the government, for example, as if it's totally alien from us, and it just fell out of the sky. But really, it's just things created by people, we all, in theory, consented to it, we are all people creating, you know, our own conditions that then flip back and control us. So it's the classic, like, I think, therefore I am versus like, no, you don't, create what you are in your thoughts. You know, your thoughts don't create your reality. Your reality shapes your thoughts. Right. And so that's, you know, a very deep commentary on the nature of this episode, especially as it's setting it up for the rest of their journey. Don't you think? I love this. I do love this. And also like, and then at what point is the consent that you're having consent versus how it's manufactured? Was it Noam Chomsky that was manufacturing consent? Yeah. Noam Chomsky wrote manufacturing consent. I fucking love that guy. I do too. And the fact that we're bringing up both Noam Chomsky and Marx when we are introduced to Light Ho- yeah. or, um to uh, Swiftwind, who is kind of a superficially leftist character. Um, and those are two pretty solid leftist thinkers. Yes, exactly. So I'm just saying that's a good moment to sort of suggest it's a metaphor mm-hmm. in a way for the rest of what's coming. Yep. And uh, it's one of those things that even if you don't catch it, you might subconsciously catch it. Which is cool. So then Adora meets Light Hope, uh, and Light Hope says, I've been watching you since you were an infant, but I could not reach you or protect you from the horde. Uh, I watched you grow up from afar, and Adora's like, wow, you know, that's kind of creepy. That's kind of creepy. Ad- Light Hope is like, creepy. Indeed. I have been called this before. And, um. Like, yeah. Yeah. You watch a lot of people grow up without their consent? Just watch them all the time? Yeah, and then Light Hope is like, I chose this form so as not to alarm you, but if it doesn't suit you, I will choose another. And this is where I want to talk about the aesthetic concept of the Uncanny Valley. Hmm. Professor Smartbrain, putting on their Professor Smartbrain hat here. Okay, let's hear it, Professor Smartbrain. The concept itself was defined by a a Japanese robotics professor. His name was Masahiro Mori. Uh, The Uncanny Valley is the hypothesized relation between an object's degree of resemblance to a human being and the emotional response of that object. Hmm. This The concept suggests, this is straight, straight from Wikipedia and then I'll explain it, that humanoid objects that imperfectly resemble actual human beings, 
provoke uncanny or strange familiar feelings in the observers. And the valley denotes a dip in the human observer's affinity for a replica. So the closer something is to a human, but isn't quite there, like a replica is to a human, the more like the more creeped out we are by it because we recognize how it's not human. I totally knew this, but I didn't know what it was called. Yep. Um, Because I don't know how many other visual geeks knew this or just regular geeks, all the geeks. Back when the original Toy Story came out, the first Toy Story movie, um, I remember they said, you know, that was when um, they were playing around with like how to present characters in this medium and they said they were able to get more realistic but it tested very badly people didn't like it it creeped them out so they went backwards to make them less realistic because that was more pleasing yep exactly and uh so here's the fun thing about it not fun but you know here's more of the theory i should say so um it applies to how anthropomorphized objects, and that's what we're calling, you know, because they're... Anthropomorphized. Anthropomorphized objects and characters react emotionally. So that's what we're also doing here with Light Hope, too. Like, it's not necessarily the physicality of it, but it's the combination of the, physica- of the you know, of what Light Hope is presenting as and how this character is reacting emotionally. And uh, I like to, you know, it's the spark behind the eyes, the spark of humanity behind the eyes. And one thing that um, has been observed in this is that if this anthropomorphized object is moving, mm-hmm. it uh, elicits more of a emotional negative response versus if it's still. So if it's moving or speaking, humans automatically ad- identify it as something that is other and as something that is fucking creepy. So... Moving or speaking. Moving or speaking. And or speaking. Because Light Hope is obviously always speaking. Light Hope is always speaking, but is speaking with that flat affect. And that flat affect Mm -hmm. is creepy. So, yes. Light Hope has definitely been creepy like that. So, flat affects are always creepy. And then... I don't know. I didn't think it was that creepy. Is there something wrong with me? Well, no. Well, so, maybe not. Um, (laughs) Maybe there is. Well, because there's also humor in it, which is the other thing that I'm going to. Yeah. Okay. Let's go there. So then we have Light Hope, you know, being, you know, our, un, un, you know, our uncanny valley facilitator of, of Etheria, right? Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And Adora's like, oh, this is creepy. And Light Hope is like, oh, yes, well, I will attempt to choose another form. And Light Hope turns into a child. And Adora says, oh, that's definitely way worse. Yeah. And I get the joke there, but I don't think it's funny. Like, I don't think that kid is particularly creepy. Certainly not any more creepy than Light Hope. And this is what I actually wrote down an explanation about why this is both creepy and a joke. So follow okay. follow me on this one. This one's yes, a little deep. Yes. Uncle Matt Give it to me. smoked a little bit too much weed and came up with this one. Okay, so flat affect children are presented as creepy. It's a trope that's used in horror films. We have like Children of the Corn, Village of the Damned, The Shining, etc. Because That's true. Because the juxtaposition, and here's where I came, this is my own Professor Smart Brain stuff. The juxtaposition of the expected playfulness, innocence, and inherent goodness of humanity is in childhood. Like, it's understood in media to be portrayed by childhood. That's why, like, Mm -hmm. bad children tropes uh, are in horror movies, right? Because it subverts that. The flatness and seriousness of this makes the child, you know, takes the playfulness and innocence, the expected playfulness, innocence, and inherent goodness of humanity in a child and Mm -hmm. replaces it with this flatness and seriousness, which then makes it inhuman, which is this juxtaposition that that, you know, Mm. our brains... 
don't get. It's scary because it's unexpected, mm. which is also how humor works. Yes, indeed. So humor also works by replacing the expected result with the unexpected result. And that is why this scene can shift well, so quickly yeah. between horror and comedy. That's a thin line. Wow. Good one. Fucking good one, Professor Smartbrain. Thank you. This has been Mass Professor Smartbrain moments. Wow. Yeah, thank you. I'd like to do some extra credit work on that one, if I may. Please do. It's a great topic. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Love it. Cool. But also, you know, that's a very telling um, stereotype in terms of the way the world perceives autistic children and a lot of yes. um, differently abled children yes. who have emotional and developmental disorders. Yes. And maybe the reason I was like, oh, it's not, I don't get why it's creepy is because, you know, I've spent years working with autistic children and I don't, I don't find them creepy or weird. You're right. And that does kind of, that does, it uh, does other, right? That, that, yeah. that, it, it, it yeah, that othering mm -hmm. is for, if, if you've never had experience with it, right. it seems so strange to right. you. Right, right. Unless you can see it normalized. And I have seen like little tiny snippets of, um, you know, legit like young children's media normalizing, starting to at least have characters that normalize autism um, and some other developmental delays right. and, you know, developmental differences mm -hmm. for young kids. So thank God it's about time. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Light Hope then starts to morph and then everything gets grotesque. So it turns into this like body horror moment too, where Light Hope goes from a child to like this like amorphous blonde. Right. And, and you're supposed to insert your own worst nightmares of like, oh my God, what yep. could it be? Yep. And it's like, and it also, you know, morphs with vis visibly. So we have like divisible distortions, digital distortions, and like, you know, like, uh, um con you know what is it concaving and you know i mean i just saw light we didn't see what she was turning there, into no there was some like uh, she was like melting and bu bubbling and right like well, either way either way it works however yeah, you perceive exactly it. and then uh you know audio glitches and everything and adora's like no stop 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 please this is terrifying and then we have our like you know our comedy our you know comedy cold open and then we got some credits we got some credits ba -ba -ba -ba. We're going to win in the end, or do we? We do. I think we will. I think so, too. Yes. And we get to bisexual bright moon. Yes. We get to go straight into Glimmer's room, where Glimmer is having a hard time. She comes through she it. She is pacing and glitching out. And I cannot remember if it was you or Ashley who had the theory that maybe stress brings on her glitching. I think it was Ashley. Yeah, I think it was Ashley, too. Um, and I think that that is strongly suggested here because she's obviously stressed as fuck mm -hmm. and she's glitching out like crazy. Yeah, totally. She's worried about Adora. Aww. She's so worried about Adora that she walks into her poofy chair and she is mad at whoever decided to put it there, who is obviously herself. Right. <laughs> what kind of monster puts a chair here? Yes. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. So, you know, time for Bo to come. Uh, what's the word? Handle her. Yeah. Yep. You know, bless. Thank God. Bless. It's Bo. a good time mm -hmm. for something to come and see the princess. Why? What? What? It's their horse. It's a fantastic entrance for a character. It totally is. It totally is. You know, is. like, and we've waited almost the entire season for Swiftwind to actually appear. Right. We keep, they keep teasing it out, right? Like, right. 
Right. So now he's finally here and he gets this epic entrance and his mane is flowing and, you know, there's stars shining around him because he's like, like exuding magic. Yeah. He's exuding what, Jenny? Magic. Oh, yes. I love that. So Swift Wind's entrance is super gay. So we all know that we all know. Yes, that Swift Wind entering the show with his big rainbow pegacorn self is gay. I love that Bo automatically recognizes him as their horse. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, oh, it's our horse. Yes. And Swiftwind lets us know right away that he is no one's horse. He is Swiftwind. Comrade Swiftwind. Yes. Yep. So we meet Comrade Swiftwind here, not really getting into his liberation, his horse liberation theory. um, but But it's great. He just puts it out there right away. And, you know... Every parent who is watching with young children, even if they're partly like, oh, it's it's awesome that they're teaching them this is also partly like, oh, fuck me, because <laughs> now my child is going to be obsessed with like, mommy, let's go free all the horses. Yes. <laughs> like for real. They're going to they're not going to stop talking about that anytime. Soon. No, I mean, that's fucking legit. Um, yeah. And uh, as we've had many conversations about this before, um, Swift is a pegacorn or an alicorn. Before we get ahead of ourselves, we just need to review his initial dialogue with Bowen Glimmer because it's so perfect. Let's do it. Our our horse! He lets us know he's his own horse. Our horse can talk! He let, he's lets us know like, yeah, 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 I can talk now. Pretty crazy. He has wings! You know, they just like are yeah. not going to get it together. Yeah. He's a and talking he's just like, oh, horse! He, and Swiftwind himself is like, oh yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's amazing. And then finally he's like, all right, I'm going to give you a second to freak out. And then we need to get down to business. Yep. Right? And then Swiftwind is like, are we good? Are we good? Are we good? Great. So I think Adora needs our help. And then we mm-hmm. establish that he has a sacred bond. Like he can just mm-hmm. like, it's instinct. He can feel her. They're they're tied together. Some sort of like. He can sense when she's in trouble. sense when she's in trouble. They have some sort of like soul bond or some shit. It's a Swifty sense. It's a Swifty sense is tingling. So. Yes. And he needs Bo and Glimmer to help because they're part of Adora's herd. I know. I loved that part. Oh, part of Adora's herd. Yeah, he gets it. And of course, Glimmer and Bo are like, abso-fucking-lutely. Mm-hmm. As she's glitching, Glimmer is like, of course, I'm down. Yes, absolutely. Bo knows Queen Mom will not approve, or he thinks he knows. Yeah. And Glimmer's regular solution is at her fingertips. <laughs> She's like, she doesn't need to know. Yeah, we'll just sneak out the back. It's fine. Even though I can... Oh, well, no. Right now she can't teleport. I was going to say, even though I can teleport, let's sneak out. Yeah, no, they're going to, they're gonna, yeah. you know, yes. sneak out the window. As per usual. They're going to go in the back way. Except, oops, hi, mom. What you doing here? Oops. And Angela's like, <laughs> Angela does not, is not phased at all. It's like, cool. So I'm coming to see why there's a guard escorting a horse into your room. And then she sees Swiftwind talking and is like, I'd like to think of myself more as a horse. I mean, a talking horse. And Angela's like, I'm a fucking immortal <laughs> angel. I've seen weirder shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, this For is sure. fine. Whatever. So. For sure. And then she tells them to get going. Glimmer can't believe it. She's like, you're really not going to try to stop us? Is this a trick? Right. No, it's not a trick. And then we get another 50 cent word. I love when they throw in a few, like, decent vocab words. And, you know, if kids don't know it, then at least they're going to want to go look it up. Like, oh, what does that word mean? She says, I will not consign you to the same regrets that she has over giving up after 
Mike died. Yeah, Angie and Mike. So she wants her daughter not to repeat her mistakes, and she recognizes that. That's a great breaking of a cycle. It is. Oh, yeah. We love character growth. Go, Angie. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. So um, then she turns into, she's like, Commander Glimmer, you know, not in that silly voice, but, you know, Commander Glimmer, I ordered you, I order you to continue your mission to find Adora and bring her back home. And, of course, Glimmer is like, right away, let's go. And <laughs> everyone salutes. Everyone salutes. And Swiftwind is like, oh, by the way, since I have your ear, let's talk about horse revolution. Yes. And I have a note here that like, and now the sound of a million ba- baby gay animal rights activists receiving their call. <laughs> Why can't we free all the horses in the stable? The children let's say to themselves. all the animals. There are animals that aren't free. And uh, we should free all the... And then they open the doors and then they let the cats out and, you know, yeah, chaos happens. Yeah. And yeah. I did that once. I let my next door neighbor's dog loose because they kept him in this tiny outdoor kennel 24 hours a day. Aww. And he barked all the time. Aww. And I, I was six and I just didn't think it was just. Oh. <laughs> so one time when my best friend was over and we sort of talked to each other, we, we egged each other on, you know, we yeah, snuck yeah, yeah. out. We snuck out in the middle of the night and let the dog out of his little outdoor kennel. Aww. And we set him free in the wild suburbs. And guess who had to go find him and bring him home the next day? Was it you? It was us. Yeah, I'm really good at this game. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're a champ. I used just yeah. deductive reasoning for this. Yes, yes. So domesticated animals don't want to be freed. No. I mean, you know, maybe they do, but they're still going to come home at mealtime. Yes, they're going to come home at mealtime, yeah. So uh, we have well wishes and careful wishes from Angie to the kids. And then we got to the Fright Zone and sweet baby Catra. Yes, it's in Trapta's lab. And Trapta's lab. And <laughs> Catra's like, what the fuck is going on here? You <laughs> dropped a note on my head that said, come to my lab. Of course I got it. Yes. You, if you were over my head, you could have just said, hey, come to my lab. But Catra's like, I don't... Okay, fine. What? Yeah. And Trapta shows Catra all the data from the first one's crystal she got. And I spent way too much time thinking about how some people say data and some people say data. Mm. And it's... Nobody's ever going to win this fight. I say both. Really? Yeah. I'm never going to say data. Yeah. It just doesn't come naturally to me. Yeah, I say both. I think it depends on what I'm talking about. So they're starting to talk about the actual shit, but then they get sidetracked because Catra wants to know where all the stuff in this room came from, you know, all the sciencey stuff. Yeah. And Entrapped is like, oh, well, here and there, rooms. (laughs) Catra's like, well, were there people in these rooms? And Entrapta says, well, not when I went back to take the stuff. And Catra then says, be gay, do crimes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that's, you know, a little moment where, I don't know, it's it's hard to know what to make of that. Because on the one hand, it's not like everyone in the Horde wants Catra and Entrapta to come steal all their shit. Yeah, but I mean, Catra is also like, hey, you are, this is cool. You're one of us. You're, yes. you know, you're willing to bend some rules. And I think it's not just like, yeah, not just true. you belong in the horde, but you belong in my crew because we that's are true. iconoclasts. We're going to yes. bend the rules. We're going to yes. go out on a limb here to get our shit done. Okay. 
Let's move over to Scorpio. What's she doing? Oh, she's sitting there. She's taking notes. Oh, yeah. You know, Entrapta is giving us a little Entrapta exposition here. There's a lot of world building in this episode, and yes. we're going to get a, yes. a lot of it from uh, Entrapta and Light Hope. So we're going to have mm-hmm. some uh, exposition stuff from Entrapta. I love this. Look at these readings. It's incredible. This seems to confirm my theories about the techno-organic nature of First One's machinery resulting in the thermatological compatibility between magic and science. Ah! And I love that she used the phrase thermatological compatibility. I'm sure you know what that word means, don't you? Thermatological is pertaining to um, the practices of magic. Yes. So, or magic. Yes. Thermatological. It's not just magic. It's it's specifically the workings of magic, the doings, the yeah. doings of the magic. Because I looked up the etymology, yep. as you knew I would, because I'm a big gainer. Yes, I did. And the two root words that, you know, carry over from the Greek and then into Latin that are the root of this word, one is, you know, you know, the makings, the maker, and the other one is the theater. Mm-hmm. Which, if you know, if you know me, you know that I love the theater of magic as much as the magic of magic. Yes, so, exactly. So yeah. it's really the doing of the magic. Um, so that word doesn't have any sciency half of it. So Not like there's really. nothing to be compatible. It's just one, you know, it's just some it's just some big talk to get people excited. Yeah. And, you know, people at home can imagine magic and science compatibility but the truth is if magic wanted to use science there wouldn't need to be compatibility magic could just magic the science however it wanted but again i'm gonna let that go because this is an all ages so yeah and some of it you have to just let go for the kids yeah anyway we're gonna let it go for the kids uh and then catra's like cool we got we love 50 cent words here but let's you know let's take this back a couple of steps yeah catra doesn't love 50 cent words yeah catra's like she's like say it normal (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then Trapped is like, well, Scorpia seems like she gets it. And Scorpia is drawing stick figures holding hands. And yes. And now debuts the iconic Super Pal Trio. I love it. The Horde foil to the Super Best Friends. We have the Super Pal Trio. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we have, uh, this is me, of course, Scorpia. This is Catra. And <laughs> I think I think this is clear. Come on. I'm a bit of an artist. Oh, yeah. Oh, sweet baby Scorpia. I just love she's always having fun. She's always having In fun. In the fucking Horde. In the fucking she's Horde. She's having fun. And uh, so this is something that I noticed with the Super Pal Trio. We get kind of our first glimpse of them here and then throughout kind of their their trio-ness. And then and it starts to get dark when they stop being a trio and they start being a duo. Um, is that they are often, Scorpia especially, uh, the two of them are used, Scorpia and Entrapta and their foiling with Catra, are used as the comic relief for the show oh absolutely having your villains your antagonists be the comic relief for the show is awesome i love that i love that yeah no argument because it humanizes them right and that's kind of the whole point of the show here is that it's very important for them to be humanized yeah like you know because of all the redemption arcs that will come exactly so we need them to be humanized it also makes them a lot tastier too because we're seeing that you know from this type of thing we're seeing that understandings of good and bad are a little squishy-wishy here, right? Because it's really, they're just people on two different sides of a war Mm -hmm. that are just trying to get what they need. Yeah, that's true. So. In, in, you know, in some ways that is absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Scorpia really does seem like she has 
the the real naivete yes. that Adora had before Adora was awakened to the the reality of what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, score and you know we we learn later, so, you know. We Yeah, I mean, Scorpia, you know, was born into this, exactly. Yeah, just like Adora, but was born into it from a different perspective, because Scorpio was kind of like, Scorpio was born into... They the, were there they before were there. the horde. This is, yeah, exactly. Like, she probably, you know, like, Adora had to work for her force captain thing. I'm thinking that Scorpia just got it as like a, like an inherited, like a title, like as part of the, okay, cool, we'll let you have the like garnet. Like a legacy? Yeah, it's like a legacy thing, yeah. I don't know, but we should probably continue with the scene because there's so much more that's going to happen in this episode. So we have Entrapta then slowing us down uh, and enunciating every word. I Mm -hmm. looked at the the, the rock, which is a crystal, and used math. Wait, do I have to explain math? Yes. Well, I mean, to me, but yes. And then (laughs) Catherine's like, okay, fine, fuck this. Did you... Did, did, did the crystal Can you give upgrade me- the weapons? Yes. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, Just tell me what we I need. Care about. And Entrapped is like, oh, this is much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Etheria is not just a planet. Yep. Whatever the first ones did, it went deep. And Entrapped uh, is so excited that somebody cares about what she's thought about, what she's learning. Mm-hmm. True. Is really fucking excited about this and like runs off off screen. And I actually I like this moment a lot because, yes, while Katra is super grouchy, she is genuinely interested in what Entrapta is coming up with. And I just, I don't know. I, I like their, I like their um, relationship. I definitely like that moment for Entrapta. Yeah. She's finally, you know, getting an opportunity, even though it's in a horrible context, she's getting an opportunity to share doing her thing with other people. Yeah. And she's given reign to do it on a larger scale than she's ever been able to do before. But she's always had this larger capability that she's never been able to use mm-hmm. and purely in an like a moral context without like good or bad being part of it which you know in her world it's not something that she sees um just being able to do her thing and have people acknowledge her is just awesome yeah and that actually brings up uh something that i i had in my earlier notes about uh how entrapped a and Trapta's understanding of knowledge as like the pure, um, the pure pursuit of knowledge versus you know ethical frameworks around gathering knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this speaks to my particular academic background, but I feel like you could argue that the pu- the pure pursuit of knowledge should be restricted to things you can take in and learn, and does not include being able to physically do things to the world and in the world doing like making experiments is making a thing it's not just learning from observing you are learning from observing but you're you're making something first and then you're observing right it. but that's how you're i guess i'm saying i'm i'm in favor of like the pursuit of theoretical of theory theoretical knowledge to any indefinite end cuz that's not pure knowledge you don't have to assign any more value to that I agree with that. But of course, if you're going to do things, they're going to affect people or they're not. And if they're going to affect people, then you have to think about that. Hmm. Right? Like if you're going to do an experiment that's going to give the entire town cancer, 
maybe you can't do that. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. And, and I agree. And that's what, and well, that's what I mean by Entrapta's pursuit of knowledge because Entrapta is, Entrapta's pursuit of knowledge isn't, let's sit here and read, you know, in read theory, Entrapta is. Right. I know. She's a scientist. She wants to do experiments forever. So, you know, it's great. It's a great moment for her, but unfortunately it's a terrible moment for the entire planet. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, you know, so, I am become, oh well. yeah, it's, you know, it's more of like the Oppenheimer stuff that we talked about when we yes, started exactly. talking about uh, Entrapta um, in System Failure. You know, Indeed. I am become death, destroyer of worlds. You know, Indeed. where's the line? Entrapta does not have the line. So we're getting close for the first time now. We're getting close to her potentially doing something really, really high stakes. Yep. And this, so this is a, uh, we see very- We're going to cut to the Crystal Castle. So this is another big kind of info dump section where we have cuts between Entrapta and Light Hope giving us the world building info dumps that we need. Um, and I was, you know, structurally, I was really impressed by how these, this was done, um, both yeah. visually and in terms of the story writing structure of it, jumping from these two different characters, telling the telling the essentially the same thing. It's a yep. really great way yep. to yep. Um, to do exposition because exposition can be boring as fuck. Um, and we see uh, we see this, and this is not, and this is not. This is so well done. This is very well executed. So then yeah. we have. So now we jump to the Crystal Castle, and Adora is getting. Who are you? And now we have the uh, explanation of who the fuck Light Hope is. Yes, she is like head technocrat, basically <laughs> she, of the planet. Yeah, she is, uh, and she was created by the first ones. So now we're learning what the first ones were. Yes, Jenny, who are the first ones? So Light Hope says the first ones were explorers who journeyed from beyond the stars to settle Etheria. Ugh. And so this is the beginning. This is our first clue. And this is so loaded. Yep. But I, I hope you'll agree, Meph. I don't think we have enough info in this episode to really start a deep dive on the implications of how colonialist all of this is. Right. But it's because when I first saw this episode, I really thought that they were saying that, like, we are all the descendants of aliens. Right. These aliens came down and we are all their descendants. Like, because there's people here on earth who like have theories like that it's called okay the name of the theory by the way is called panspermia panspermia it's called panspermia theory it's that aliens uh populated the planet yeah nice yep yeah i all right i know some weird shit um yeah of course i love it okay so i think it's possible to read this the wrong way at this point and to not even realize what they're talking about in terms of colonialism but it's important world building however the word explorers is a loaded term. Oh, of course. And that is a that's kind of a red flag here for, you know, people. Yes. Um because I mean, how do we explain how are we taught about colonialism, you know, how are Americans taught about colonialism, right? We're taught about it because explorers came from right. Europe to explore right. here and that was a big red flag for me. It's an explorer language is used to sanitize colonial expansion. Exactly. Of course. Of course. It's while it's not explicit here at all, one could definitely be like, yeah, you know, the explorer language is a, yeah, a big red flag. Of course, here, so. of course. No, yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I 100 yeah. percent agree with you. I'm just saying like we I don't think the information we get in this episode is enough to go have a deep, deep dive. And I don't want us to spend too much time talking about oh, future no. episodes. Absolutely. Quite yet. Completely agree. 
Okay. Okay, cool. So here we go. So now Light Hope is ready to show Adora her destiny. What? Destiny? Oh, man. Now Adora has a destiny. So we're going to learn. Yeah, Adora did not sign up for a destiny, but she got it. But she got it. So we got all of the shit coming now. Are you ready for the big info dump about the She-Ra? Exposition me, baby. Okay. Light Hope says you are She-Ra. Ethereus champion, appointed by the First Ones to protect and unite our planet. There have been many before you, but the line was broken. You were the first Shira in a thousand years. Yeah. Right? That's the next line. And so the imagery that we see there is very much like Avatar imagery. I was just thinking that. In terms of the past lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Even though these are not shown as being past lives, it is a chain that was unbroken for like untold time up until... The one right before you. <laughs> right. So um, the Shira is the Aetherius champion that is appointed by the first ones, right? So, okay. Here's my question. I'm yes. trying to unpack this. You may be able to answer this. Okay. Maybe so, the same thing I've been pondering maybe. over myself. Okay, cool. Uh, and we're, we're not going with what we learn later. We're going with what we're told here. Mm-hmm. So we are told here. That Shira is a Therius champion appointed by the first ones to protect and unite the planet. Okay. Mm-hmm. There were mm-hmm. many before you, but the line was broken. The last Shira, and we learn not too far from here, that there is the last Shira 1,000 years ago was Mara. We're also introduced to Mara, who's dope. And she was sent by the first ones. Does that mean that there were first ones here before that, according to what Light Hope is saying, and Mara was not she was just there as like a steward are you are you saying do you do i think all of that mara was the only shira that was from eternia yeah i've thought about that too um i definitely don't think mara was the only one um i think they were there for like a while so etheria was colonized for a fucking long time before mara showed up then right okay that's what i was trying to understand here oh yeah i mean they didn't just touch down for like 10, 15 years. Right, like they've been there for a fucking while. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, they had, like, so many buildings and, you know, all of their culture and their tech and all their stuff was so left behind and, like, you know, it's, like, stuff that if we unearth, like, a whole city and a whole world of whatever society was here in Paleolithic times and now we we have their remains. But see, this wasn't, you know, also the scope of what they say is ancient history, we have to remember, isn't really ancient history. They're talking about a thousand years ago, like it's ancient history. Right. I I mean, exactly. Right. Like, so say, you know, even if they were there, I feel like on the time scale of a show like this, when they're saying a thousand years ago was ancient times, um, if they were there for like a hundred years, it would have been like, they had been there for so long. Right. Plus they didn't build all that shit through the entire planet. Yeah. In a short time. And like, you know, we're only, you know, dear listeners, we are approaching this from what Light Hope is saying now about this because we do, you know, right now I'm just figuring out what it what Light Hope is saying now. Because we do yeah. learn a whole bunch about like, especially in the episode Hero uh, and in Destiny in the fourth season, we learn more about what She-Ra is and stuff too. And Mara, we learn about Mara too. So Yeah, it's certainly problematic as are most things in media. Yeah. Um, being problematic doesn't automatically make everything ruined. Sure. Um, it's more important, actually, it's more important that we examine those things and unpack them yeah. rather than just avoid anything that has them because, you know, you just got to face it. Yeah. I mean, and I'm all about like, you know, 
uh, media critique anyway, and that's what we're here for. So, for according yes, to Light, yes, the juicy, juicy. So, according to Light Hope, Shira is a Therius champion that is appointed by the First Ones um, to protect the planet. There, uh, Mara broke the line and stranded them in the empty dimension of Despondos. That's how she broke the line. And then, for some reason, Adora was chosen. For some reason that we don't know right now. We don't know yet why she was chosen. Right. We just know that it, um, that Light Hope couldn't protect her from the Horde. That's all we know. That right. Light Hope couldn't get to her. She was chosen, but Light Hope couldn't get to her. That's what we know. Right. And uh, Adora has a destiny. Then we kind of transition to Entrapta's lab. And Entrapta gives us the skinny on what's go- what is within Etheria. So we just got like the magical side explanation. And now we're going to get the tech side of the explanation. Right? Yeah. That's basically how they're spinning all of this back and forth. You hear it once from the Ethereum side point of view and once from like the techno horde explanation side point of view. Yep. And Trapped is showing Catra and Scorpia her big model of Etheria. <laughs> she definitely has not shown this to anyone before. Super excited. I love that she took the time to make this massive model. Yeah, I love of it. course. Bless. So she says the first ones didn't just settle on the surface of Etheria. Oh, no. Oh, no. Their technology runs all the way through the planet's core, which is like, what? if you're a scientist, yes, if you're a scientist like Entrapped, you're like, what? This is, you know, unprecedented. And I could do an insane amount of experiments here. And who knows, you know, what the implications could be. And it's very exciting for, a you know, little hippie fuck like me. It's kind of a grotesque image. <laughs> To think of foreign invading tech running through an entire natural planet full of magic without consent. I don't like it. You know, I'm sure Perfuma feels the same way. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's it's essentially, you know, if we're looking at Etheria as an organic being, then it's now a cyborg. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And my last note is about the music and the score. You know, the music, and I'm speaking as a layperson here, everybody knows, um, just the way it builds, it's like suspense, suspense is happening, stakes are rising, you know, you really know that you're building towards something here. The next episode is the season finale. Right, And they're really, they're really letting us know it. They're fucking ramping up and they're giving us a bunch of info dump before the season finale too, so. A bunch of revelations. So then we transition back to the Crystal Castle here, where as we learn that the entire planet is first one's text from Entrapta, we now have Light Hope saying that everything on Etheria is connected. And now we have like these holograms of the princesses showing up. And so the princesses are granted power over the elements losing, using their runestones. As She-Ra, it is your duty to bring the princesses together. Only then can balance be restored to Etheria. And then we see a fuck ton of princesses. Just a shit ton of them. And some of those silhouettes we recognize. We see Glimmer. We see Spinnerella. We see... We see Scorpia, but then we see like a bull princess. I didn't note all of them, to be honest. There's like a cat princess and it's like all these oh, other princesses. I remember we... people obsessing over the theory that Catra was a princess because there was a cat princess outline at the time. Right. Yeah, like way back in the day. Way yeah. back in season one. Way back in season one, all the way back to 2000. 18. Oh my god. I know. Pre-COVID, what? So, okay, so we see all these fucking princesses. We know that not all princesses have runestones, but we still see all these fucking princesses yes. anyway. So that seems like a much, you know, better sell, obviously. Right. That seems great. Right. It sounds great. Princesses all in balance. 
Yeah. Planet functions as it should. Great. We hippie, restore Ethereum. Hippie princesses all in a groove together. That sounds yeah, it, like a great option. As the Avatar, it is your job to restore balance right. to all four elements. Sounds fucking great. Balance always sounds good. But, you know, <laughs> in, in, in theoretical terms, you have to remember that balance can be achieved in a static way or in a chaotic way. Exactly. But from, from what we know here, and we're, we're not going to jump ahead, no. this is a great thing. Yes, and Adora yes. says, that sounds great. And Light Hope says, you are correct. It is great. Yes. That's another like creepy comedy moment. And then we cut to and Adora, Entrapta's interpretation. Yes, just before we cut, I want to make note that Adora is still doing her people pleasing thing. Like yes. if Catra was the one who was not getting what she wanted out of this hologram, she wouldn't be like, oh, that's great. But the thing is, like, oh, I, I can't wait to hear more. But the thing is, you know, she wouldn't be politely trying to get her point in. She'd be like, shut. She'd be like, shut the F up. I'm on TVY7. <laughs> <laughs> like, Catra would definitely say F. E-F-F. Like, you don't talk now. I talk. I talk. Yes. Yeah. Whereas Adora, and that's kind of what, you know, Catra does now. We transition back to the Fright Zone. Catra says, what are these supposed to be? And Trapta says, runestones. From the data I have managed to collect, extract, I almost said data there. From the you data, data I have managed want to. <laughs> don't let me from- stop you. From uh, They regulate the planet through the princesses. They're directly connected to each other and the planet's power grid in a, in a delicate balance. So I love the, that this scene because we actually, the visual part of this is we have Light Hope saying everything is connected and we need balance. And then we cut to the first, the, 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 the scene that we see, the scene cut, cuts right to not just Entrapta, you know, sitting there speaking to the camera, but the model. And yeah. we see the model itself looks yep. like a neuro network, a neural network. So it's like you see the visual connection before the, the neural web connection that Entrapta has of Etheria. Yeah, it's great. Um, I love the way everything is sort of being explained twice from yep. two different sides. Yep. You know, yep. and you really see it's the same as in season four of Buffy with the initiative. Yep. You see the way the magical side does things, and then you flip right over to the science tech government army guy side, and you see the way d- they deal with things. Yep. And they're both talking about the same thing, but it's profoundly different the way they yep. talk about it. Yep. So her end point of, of showing Catra, how all of the princesses and their power is delicately connected to each other and this whole grid through the planet. What does that mean? It means they're our best access point to hack the planet. Ooh. Right? So, Entrapta's obviously seen the film Hackers way too many times. Oh. Entrapta has never been more excited. Never been more excited because Entrapta can now gain all of this information. Yeah, I mean, this is the biggest experiment she's ever been able to do. And that's all it is to her. Because she's doing it on the planet, on a planetary level. Yeah, she's experimenting on the whole planet. Yep. And then we transition back to Light Hope saying, when the princesses and their elements are in balance, Etheria functions as it should. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... But the Horde... But the Horde is destroying us in their quest for power. There is no predicting what they'll do next when we just kind of learned what they're going to you know, do next. They're going to do next is <laughs> Catra saying, hack the planet? Question no, but mark. so the way Catra says it is like, bullshit, you're not really going to do that. Yeah, yeah. 
Yes, and then Entrapta says that there's only a handful of runestones in the, in the whole world, and they need one. And Scorpion's yes. like, I got one of those. Yeah, yeah. Oh, geez, this is awkward. I thought everybody knew. Yeah, well, it's covered it's like, in force captain orientation. Yeah, I guess, <laughs> which no one ever went. So to. this is more world building, you know. Yeah, my this is my family's kingdom. Hordak yeah. crashed here. My grandfather said he could stay. My grandfather gave him the black garnet. You know, gave it to Hordak, and they gave, gave it to, it to Shadow, Shadow Weaver. Weaver. You know, you tell a friend, he tells a friend. It's kind of one of those. Yeah, and I, once again, this is another credit to Lauren Ash being able to just deliver exposition like no one else on. Oh, I know. On Etheria, it's, it's she's awesome. She is the best. She makes everything entertaining. She makes everything entertaining, even exposition. So Entrapta wants the black garnet. Please. And thank she wants, you. She wants to touch it. Yes. Uh, and then Catra wants to know what's going on. And Entrapta says, if we hack the runestone grid, because that's the access point through the runestone is the access point to the grid, you can boost the Garnet's power and use it for anything. Mm-hmm. And Catra's like, shit, yeah, weapons. Yep. Scorpia is attempting to be some voice of reason and is like, I don't think Shadow Weaver will like that. And Catra's I don't think like, she's trying to be a voice of reason. I think she's just scared of Shadow yeah. Weaver. I mean, that's fair too. That's true. But she's like, I don't think Shadow Weaver would like that. And Catra's like, nah, she won't. So let's fucking do it. And my last note is, oh, hi, little demon cherub. We didn't see you there. Oh, hi, little demon cherub. Whose name is Imp? Oh, I didn't look that up. He's little demon cherub to me. But I don't dislike Imp. Yeah. So and then he goes to Hordak, who, of course, mm-hmm. you know, Hordak knows everything. So he opens his mouth and perfect recording of the entire conversation comes out of his little demon cherub mouth. He like opens his mouth like a Muppet and then yep. like sound comes out. It's fantastic. So. It's a fantastic little creepy detail that makes it seem more like it's not his fault. He's just a little vehicle, man. He's just a vehicle. Yeah. He's, he's kind of cute. I kind of like him. He's a recorder with bat wings, right? Yeah. Um, so then we have Back to Light Hope. This, this is, is very, like- you know, they're really building, they're building the tension, they're building the suspense, they're building the pace, and having so many scene cuts is part of building the pace, mm-hmm. building towards, yeah. building towards some kind of denouement. Right, which is, which, and the music is there to, to yeah. work on it as well. So we have yeah. the visual, the visual cuts and the, um, and, you know, the escalating, escalating importance of the information but this is still just people talking about the you know it's just world building it's just people talking about instead of talking to each other they do such a good job making it so Mm -hmm. compelling yeah so because this is all exposition yeah that's all exposition this episode is essentially an an info dump you know episode but yeah the way that they do it is really solid good job good job writers good job good job good job everyone yeah that's right. So Adora's like, I get this, but I have one more thing to ask. Uh, and Light Hope is like, is there something you don't understand? I could start over from the beginning if you want. <laughs> and then starts the, the recording over again. And she Adora's goes like, back to the same place yep. she was standing before, even <laughs> though she knows Adora's not standing there. Right? And, and Dora's like, no, I get it. <laughs> I love this line. Light Hope said, have I mentioned that you are chosen? <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like yes yes you have this was definitely something and then we get into the the guilt spiral and we get into the chosen one dilemma mm-hmm. so but before they get into the chosen one dilemma adora spirals out on her and this is her her usual thing this is her emotional baggage yes. everything that's gone wrong is my fault and i have to fix it 
Yep. Everyone who's in trouble right now is in trouble because of me. And therefore, I need to fix it. And right. Light Hope is like, you will be able to do many incredible things with training for years. Yeah, with years of training. Yeah, we have the Chosen One dilemma. Your mission is to fix the planet. Adora, my mission is to help my friends. Yeah, and Adora does say, why not both first? She does. And... Light Hope never really has an answer for that. You cannot help only your friends, is what a Light Hope says. And Nadora right. says, why can't you do both? But that's the question. When Nadora says, why not both? Light Hope never really has a good answer for that. And then it doesn't matter, because then we go to kind of like the, the you know, the one of the central underlying themes and also the motifs of the show that they often do literally. Mm-hmm. It is you are distracted by your attachments. Mm -hmm. So it is literal letting go of your attachments versus the strength of friendship. And I mean, we right up to the end, right up to the end, right up to the last fucking moment of that of this damn show. Um, And we see that is actually keep holding on to your quote unquote attachments because it is actually this power of the the strength of friendship and love that will save the universe. Um, But before we get to that part, we see that we learn of Mara. Yes, we do. We meet Mara. And we're like, wait, we know that name. That was Madame Raz's Mara. What happened to Mara? So, of course, we believe what Light Hope tells us at this point. Why wouldn't we? Mm -hmm. She's the one who gave in to fear and faulty reasoning power was too much for her she couldn't control it she's the one who stranded us in despondos and nearly destroyed us and she broke the shira line obviously she broke yeah. the shira line she stranded them in despondos because she could not control the power it became too much for her mind and she was compromised so yes. it's framed as it's very Mara. vague language it's very vague language but it's also it's also that sort of like framing of like that this this happens specifically with with women right where you know if they do something that is not within societal expectations and this is definitely like a historical thing right like they're seen as crazy right yes yes we have light hope kind of perpetuating this patriarchal understanding of women who have too much power yeah oh absolutely it's very much that i mean we see it you know we see it in uh the dark phoenix dark phoenix uh for the Mm x-men of course dark willow yes absolutely women that gain too much power and lose control Women who gain too much power and then have their emotions provoked too deeply. Yes, exactly. By, by you know, intimate connections they can't let go of. Exactly. Because, you know, their relationships are important to them for some reason. Exactly, exactly. And we see that, we see that kind of narrative going with Light Hope. Yes, we do. We Yes, absolutely. You got it, dude. Yeah, we see Light Hope up- upholding patriarchal understandings of female power. Yep. Cool. And colonialism. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Light-, Light Hope sucks. Light Hope already sucks. Yeah. And there are definitely several red flags in this episode. I think there's another one coming that I that I had a note about, but we haven't gotten there yet. But so Adora promises, though, that she will stay and learn whatever Light Hope wants, but she just has to heal Glimmer first, which is yep. fucking reasonable. Yep. And then what's Light Hope's response to that, Meth? Light Hope's response to that is showing, uh, is putting Adora back into the trauma tunnel of shame and guilt. Yeah. Um, and then we have uh, we have Glimmer shouting in distress as she fights as she um, fights through Shadow Weaver's restraints. We have what I the only gay moment that I have identified in this. Uh, one of Adora's biggest guilt moments was leaving Catra. Right, of course. And it was the Adora, like that kind of like 
I know, the one where she just has that hurt look in her eyes, that shock and hurt that she just can't believe it. Yeah, so that's my gayest moment. Yeah, that's pre-anger, that look of hurt. It's just all vulnerability. We all know that we know the gayest moment. Yes, that's a good one. And I also have here that Light Hope using, you know, her trauma and guilt-invoking memories as a way to convince her that she shouldn't leave is one of one of the first red flags for me that Light Hope is a propaganda hologram. Oh, yes. Right? Yeah, she is a propa propa holo no. <laughs> Propagram. Propagram. A propagram. Oh, that's oh, a good word. I love I that. I like that. Yeah, like because that. you know, she is just framing everything. We don't know this yet. But you know, she's framing things the way she wants Adora to see them. Yep. And that is, you know, for deliberate purposes of manipulation. Yep. Oh, just like the horde did before. Ooh, my brain just went to a place. Yes. Okay. I like when my brain does this. Let me go there with you. Okay, cool. Um, Promise. We remember, as we remember, you know, you go through the crystal castle and you get your brain scanned and then you go through all your most traumatic moments, right? Oh, yeah. So that was- With your best friend. With your best friend. With your best friend. With your best friend. Best friend. But in that case, so is that part of the Shira training then? So then a prospective She-Ra goes in, sees all of their worst, you know, ba- the, you know their, their worst moments that they have to do in order for them to get, let go of those attachments and then become a purer she a more pure She-Ra without those attachments because they've moved through them. I think that's possible. I also think it's possible that it's a more generic, you have to see whatever your greatest fears are and your worst traumas and overcome them in a more dre- in a more general way. And it mm-hmm. might not be specifically about attachments. It could be either of those. Or I also think it's possible since they were just running away and they had already gone past the spider area mm-hmm. um, and they were like having activated all the defense systems. It's also possible that that was part of the defense system to freak out intruders that was my next question too but yours yours could also be i think that either one of those is plausible yeah yeah we don't know maybe it's a dual purpose maybe they like freaking everybody out maybe they're like we already got this thing we're using it to train shiras we might as well use it to freak out bad guys too yeah i mean that totally works too you know want to get their value for their buck For their, you know, space invader bucks. Our space invader bucks. Yeah, let's uh, let's traumatize everyone that comes in here, friend yeah. and foe. <laughs> it's just the trauma castle. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like <sighs> fuck it. Let's just traumatize everybody. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, All thank right. you for that tangent because cool. So, and then Light Hope says you feel guilty for your memories. This is the other gaslighting thing, right? Light Hope emphasizes that you feel these guilt. It's what you said. Your friends are endangered by your presence. So you have to let go. It's better to let go now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Before you get too attached. Just rip off the band-aid. Exactly. So then, so more, you know, more red flags from Light Hope. And then Adora's like, I can't just leave my friends. And then we go back to the Fright Zone. Yep. The newly dubbed Super Pal Trio is hooking up and trapped as machine to the Black Garnet. Shadow Weaver arrives and is not having any of this audacity oh dip shadow weaver's home and she's pissed oh my god everyone is scared except for katra of course because katra is like katra is the boss yeah katra's the boss now this is a minor gayest nom gayest moment nom um when katra you know when when shadow weaver sweeps in everybody cowers 
Um, Entrapta puts her arms and hair around Emily. Uh, Scorpia cowers between her big claws. And Catra just stands there staring up at this much larger and taller person. And she's got a little smirk. I have that too. And that's a little gay gay smirk. smirk. That's a gay smirk. Yeah. I have one more later on, but you know, that's a little gayest moment. Yep. I have that. I have that as a gayest moment too. And Catra says that she can do whatever she wants with this hunk of runestone because the patriarchy... Yeah, patriarchy said so. Because the pa- because dad dad's home and dad yeah. said I can. Yep, dad said so. And of course, Shadow Weaver doesn't believe that. Hordak snaps on every screen. He says he gave them permission to do whatever they want. Oh snap! Uh oh. And then also tiny interlude. He's petting his little demon cherub under the chin, and he makes a little meow. And you know, I can't help it. I, I like little demon cherub kitten. Aww. Yeah, why not? It's not Aww, his fault that he was that. born in the horde either. Um, so then, you know, we see, so then we see Shadow Weaver um, getting more and more angry. And of course, you know, the angrier Shadow Weaver gets, the calmer Catra gets, because we now know who has the power in the situation and who doesn't. She's like, are you really going to let somebody tinker with my runestone? Yeah, of course. Let's just say that, you know, Hordak says, I'm giving it to them. Shadow Weaver says, hell no, you're not. Right. Yeah. And, you know, she, you know, she wells up all the magic she has. She breaks the screen. So then Hordak's out of the picture, even though she knows what he said, what his judgment was. She doesn't care. Yep. Right. She is for the first time. She's not just bowing down to male power. She is not giving this up unless someone physically takes it from her. Right. And she does not think that Katra is going to be that person. Oh, she is so wrong. But today is a new day. A new day. It's a new day for Katra. This is just so deeply satisfying. This is such a good scene. I I do. We really do need to say that Shadow Weaver here, who has always been... Uh, seen as being in control to Catra's kind of like being in less control, right? We have Shadow Weaver mm-hmm. being like the colder in control one versus Catra being like more reactionary. Wild. She's wild and right. uncontrollable. And reacts to Shadow Weaver's um, actions. We now see this as flipped. Shadow Weaver is now the one that is reacting to Catra's actions. Mm. Um, and we now see Shadow Weaver taking this place of kind of like wild anger. Yeah. And she pitches a fucking fit. Oh, yeah. Also, something I noticed now, which we might have brought up before, but I don't know if we have. Uh, Shadow Weaver, um, the power of the Black Garnet is electricity. Um, and it is similar to Scorpia's lightning flowers. Yeah, I mean, I figured, I thought it was the same power because yeah, she's connected power, but Shadow to Weaver, that runestone. But, but Shadow Weaver wields it differently. Ah, yes, because she is wielding it through witchcraft. Exactly. Instead it of wielding come it. doesn't naturally. Exactly. Yes. So we see, we see her wielding it like closer to how, how Scorpia, you know, wields it. Like blowing out all of the the screens and you know like shooting bolts of lightning she freezes um scorpia and entrapped her right away catcher is the only one who evades yep. Right? Yep. and then they have this incredibly powerful conversation yep. where shadow weaver starts out pushing all of catcher's buttons saying all the most yep. hurtful things that she can think of 
you know, that's right, run away. It's the only thing you've ever been good at. You've always been a disappointment. You've learned nothing from me. And then we have Catra mm -hmm. getting her revenge. She says, oh, no, I've learned everything from you. And then I have a note there. I learned it from watching you, <laughs> I have that too. which younger <laughs> listeners will not recognize. There was a bunch of anti-drug PSAs in the 80s because that was Nancy Reagan's big uh, crusade when she was first lady was, you know, the say no to drugs thing. And it was the this, dumbest shit. It was the dumbest shit. And, you know, we were really little, so it seemed really dumb to us, too. But it was the parents found the teenagers drugs and they're like, where did you learn to you know, to be like this. And, and it was like a joint. Says, I learned it from watching you. And they're yeah. like, and I'm like, well, what are they saying? Are they saying that the parents are also hiding joints? Yeah. Like, and like, if that's true, then it can't be that bad. Why is everybody so upset? It's, not, it's like, yeah, exactly. It's like, wow, you, you're, you're fine and you're smoking yeah. joints. So Katra is like, you thought you were punishing me? You were training me for this day. But before she gets to the finish... She has a few building up lines and they're not all necessarily super important. But when she gets up to and the way she says how to resist, that like makes my heart do things. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's yeah. a really powerful line, the way she delivers it. Yeah. It's like, I've learned everything. I've learned how to evade you. I've learned how how to dodge, when to react, how to resist. Yep. And now... And now it's your turn to go down. Yep. And I'm the one who's going to stand. Yep. She really steps into her power in a way that we haven't seen her before. Yep. This is when we see Catra moving into her power. We saw the first part of it um, kind of in Princess Prom when she makes the plan. And then we have more of it in Promise when it's not the greatest way, but she does disconnect herself from, you know, her association with Adora to make herself. And yeah. now we have her do it like disconnecting herself from Shadow Weaver. Yeah. And the way that she does it is breaking Shadow Weaver's connection with the runestone, which is a parallel to Glimmer's injury, because Glimmer's par uh, connection with her runestone has been disrupted as well. Mm, I didn't think about it that way, but you're right. Um, And so... Catra breaks Shadow Weaver's mask. The the little piece of the runestone that was in her mask. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like a video game. She finds the, the, oh, the yeah. one blinking spot and hits it, right? That's so funny that you said that because my next line in my notes is KO'd. You know, like yeah. in old video games, <laughs> they story KO'd. Yeah, totally. So as soon as that's over and Shadow Weaver has been taken away, as soon as it's over... Catra turns to Entrapta and gives her permission to do the thing. Oh, wait, before right? that, before that, there's a really good beat where, you know, Catra turns to Scorpia and says, restrain the sorceress. Yep. And like completely detaches any, like completely cuts any attachment that she has with Shadow Weaver. It doesn't say, you know, restrain Shadow Weaver. She just right. restrained yeah. the sorceress. Stone cold. We won't Stone have to cold. worry about her any longer. Mm-hmm. It's a good moment for Catra. Yeah. It's a great moment for Catra. It's a great moment for Catra. And then we have... We have Entrapta doing the thing, and she gets to say one of her iconic lines. Let's get weird. And dude, I don't know about you, but I will always get weird. Oh, yeah. I will always get fucking weird. I love that almost line. Almost always. I love that line, too. It's a great line. I will almost always get weird, 
but I know where my boundaries are and I am comfortable asserting them. I think that, yeah, I think that's, that's good. I think yes. knowing what your weird boundaries are. Yes. But most of the time I'm, I'm there. So then boom, she does the thing and the thing is now afoot the foot is the thing the apocalypse she fucking starts yeah. the apocalypse guys like well, she you know she's sucking all the energy from all the other rune stones and siphoning it off just for the black garnet yep. and throwing the whole world out of balance thusly yep raw energy blast shoots through the roof um but yeah so entrapta opens up the seal one of the seals and the apocalypse starts yep it's not a full power right away, obviously. No. It takes time to boot yeah. up the apocalypse. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then um, cut to Swiftwind, who, Comrade Swiftwind here, who's giving some high-level revolutionary stuff. I love this line. Uh, you know, he yeah. realizes he's free. He named himself Swiftwind after the Swift Winds of Revolution. I love that. I looked that up just to see if it was a quote from something of significance, but all it's not. of the links were from Shira. I so. looked it up too because i'm like that sounds like something marxist right like that sounds like yeah exactly i i thought it could be a real quote but it's not but it's not but it's good so you know josie campbell but, you know this up. episode yeah it's fantastic but this whole episode is putting a hard beat on you know the first thing the horse thinks when the horse can think is i'm free yeah but none of my brothers and sisters are free therefore i should free them freedom equality and hay for all Yes, yes. So, com oh Comrade Swiftwind. I'm not going to get into Marxism now, but... Yeah, it's too soon, but, you know, we will talk about it in the future more. So that's just while they're walking along. Yep. But then, lots of creatures are running away from something. Something weird is going on, and Swifty can sense it. Yep, and it's like, Swifty's spider sense is tingling. We have to go get a Dora. Meanwhile, back at the, back at the Fright back Zone. Back in the Fright Zone. Entrapta confirms. See, again, like they're experiencing, they're experiencing the fact that the planet is falling out of whack. Yeah. And then we go back to the fright zone and Entrapta confirms that that is what is happening. The garnet is siphoning energy at a near exponential rate. And we're knocking the planet out of whack. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's still growing. Planet out of whack. It's snowing in the whispering woods. Things are getting interesting. Yeah, so for her, it's like, ooh, the experiment right. is getting very experimenty. Yep. And then we have, yes. you know, Bo's like, fuck, it's snowing. It's impo That's impossible. The right. seals of the apocalypse keep opening. Yep. Swifty's yep. like, oh, the bad thing is happening. They finally find the crystal castle. Yep, you know, like lightning is sparking from the sky. Cats and dogs living together. Complete yes. anarchy, you know, <laughs> you know. Yep, yep, I know that one. Yep. But they find the Crystal Castle, Swifty gets them in, and they find Adora on on the holodeck slab. On the holodeck slab, yep. I had that as the, the holodeck slab. <laughs> you did? Yeah, I had it as a wow. I had it as the slab. But yeah. Cool. And Swifty's using the magical horn of magic. Yes. To go inside her mind. To go inside her mind. I love that Swiftwind takes his magical horn. Uh, on his third eye and taps into Adora's third eye to mm -hmm. get into whatever internal, like, mindy, holodecky, internally... Yeah, to get into her mind. Yeah, because, of course, because they have a sacred yeah. bond that you can only connect by touching your third eyes. Naturally. And, yeah, of course. That's how it does. And of course, done. in the meantime, Bo and Glimmer are busy fending off those giant robot spiders that there are, you know, an unlimited number of. I was going to say, up do in they this ever place. fucking run out of these goddamn spiders? 
there's obviously like an automated factory that's what, that was yeah. preset. Or it's just going to keep churning them out or forever. It's like a really big closet somewhere. <laughs> Every time one gets smashed, it gets recycled. They just make another one. Yeah. Or, oh, or they can like techno organically like reproduce or something. Maybe there's like some Ooh, sort of like mechanical AI be. thing. That is probably way cooler and way more thought than anybody had put into those. I'm sure I'm 100 sure you're correct. Yeah, um, but let's go into Adora's mind with Swifty. So we go into Adora's mind, and of course, Adora's first thing is, "Hey, it's our horse. You can talk." Yes. First, she says, "Hey, it's our horse. I am no one's horse." Right. We get reminded of that. Right. And then we get the "You can talk" shtick, and he jokes, "You know, I see why you're friends with Bo and Glimmer." Like, yeah, because yeah. no one else would have that reaction. Well, I mean. Uh, Angie didn't. Angie was just like, eh, it's a well, horse. Well, yeah, but she's an immortal angel. Yeah, and the, we don't know if she the guards did or not. The guards were like, something eh, is here. Fair. But anyway, so Swifty's like, okay, cool, I'm here. That's great. We need to go. Uh, yes. How do we get out of here? And Adora's like, I don't know. Light here, low hope disappeared. And and then is like, ah, and then is, you know, I don't, I shouldn't go back. You know, Light Hope's right. All I do is hurt people. Yeah. Yep. She's doing the butt hurt thing. Yeah. And then frames the guilt, of course, into the, it's the greater yes, good. Yes. And then Switchwood's just like, that's dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've had the ability to form complex thought for like a week now. And even I know you can't help anything by hiding. Or no, I'm sorry. It was the line is moping. She says, I'm not moping. So finally, I have a gayest moment, Nam. This okay. is my last one. Okay. The way Adora's big gay indignant scoff of I'm not moping, all of uh, that, you know, she delivers that so well. I do not think I can reproduce it and do it justice. She's like, I'm not moping. Um, you know listeners if you could see jenny she is like <laughs> moving her arms like in this incredibly particular way where she's like well she was like throwing her arms around indignantly before she crossed them yeah and all those you know guttural non-word noises that were part of that scoff she pulled it off i didn't pull it off i'm not giving myself this nomination i'm giving it to adora because I'm, I'm, giving- I'm saying she did it well and i am not doing it well i thought you did it lovely i wasn't (laughs) making fun of you i actually loved it i know i know i think both of you are excellent at lesbian scoffing oh thank you you're welcome you're welcome and then swifty gives her what i have called the tvy 7 10 second motivational talk excellent right Uh adora realizes that her attachments are not weaknesses she didn't become shira to fulfill an epic chosen one destiny she did it to help people so let's go help them. Yay, the power of friendship. And also hammering hammering home the overall theme of this episode, which is not only info dump, but also connection. So mm-hmm. the theme of this yeah. episode oh, is yeah. the interconnectivity of all things. Yes, it is. That's, you know, an easy... Not a big deal. Yeah. Easy concept. Sure. Totally. Yeah. The interconnectivity of all things, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, is pretty, pretty, pretty deep for an episode that is essentially all world building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Also the topic of my next TED talk. That is, that's a good one. Yeah. I'm approaching it from several different disciplines. Excellent. Excellent. That has TED talks are want to do. So As they are. Yeah. All right. Let's go outside of Adora's mind now. Yay. Because they walk out the door that she makes in her mind with her big queer sword and Adora wakes up and immediately kicks all the robot spider ass. Yep. 
and they all come bursting out of the crystal castle on Swifty's back into the blizzard. Yep. As they fly into the apocalypse. Yes. And the strings and the horns are going to town Ugh. to make sure we feel the tension and the denouement building. Everything it's is very so, satisfying. Everything is epic. They have to fly to Bright Moon to see yep. what the fuck is going on. We and they have this one little trope that I find both annoying and hilarious. That when they fly above the cloud line and they see the lightning and the storm clouds all around... They say, oh my gosh, it's not just here. Mm -hmm. It's the whole world. It's the whole world. Like if you're above the cloud line and if it's as far as you can see, it's the whole world. <laughs> How big is this planet? True, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's okay. Because it's time to hurry back to Bright Moon. So they're going back to Bright Moon. Meanwhile, at the Fright Zone. Yep. So they're going to get ready for their finale Wh at Bright Moon. Which, of course, we have some pretty classic villain shit here. Where yes. Scorpion, it's very, it's almost like, you know, like Mad Science. Like, but the Mad Scientist here is, yeah. in this scene, isn't Entrapta. It's, it's Catra. It's very much the, like, the assistant of, like, oh. <gasps> What, what, you know, what's happening? What do you think this is doing? And Katra, you know, as the mind, has like the, like literally the grin, like, I don't know, but I could work with this. Evil yep. grin. Like if we stayed on that for like 0.3 seconds, there would be an evil cackle, right? You know, like it's like, that is a villain or that's moment. What you would expect at least. I don't know if there would be, but that's that's the expected end of that scene. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. Like, Catra's yeah, yeah. having a villain moment. Yes, yes. She is having a villain moment for sure. You know, like, fuck, we're all freaking out like, whoa, this doesn't look good. Whoa. And Catra is having the opposite response. It's like, hell yeah. Let's, yeah. you know, let's get weird. Yep. Okay. Yep, yep. Well, hey, Jenny. Wow. Hey, Meth. What did we learn today? We learned so fucking much. Shit. Let's hear it. I don't even know how to summarize it all. Shit. We learned about the fundamental interconnection of all things, mm -hmm. whether they're visible to the naked eye or not. Mm -hmm. We learned about the fundamental truth of perspective mm -hmm. in any story or existence. Mm -hmm. Your perception of the situation is not the truth. Mm -hmm. There is no one truth when living lived experiences. Mm -hmm. We learned a fuckload about Etheria. We learned a lot about it's, Etheria. It's natural and social history. Yeah, we did. We really did. We met a somewhat sketchy um, propagram who, you know, maybe we're not sure how we feel about yet. We don't know. Maybe how, some of us. Yeah, we don't know how we feel yeah. about Light Hope yet. Yeah. Maybe some of us already know that we don't like her. Maybe some of us are like, ooh, what's happening here? Only time shall tell. And... Most important of all, we have learned that shit is gonna go down. Shit is gonna go fucking down. And we Our next episode is the finale. We learned our next episode is the finale. As excited. I'm excited. Wow. Wow. We almost got through a whole season, man. We almost got through a whole season and nothing at all changed in either one of our lives. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Well, folks, if you liked what you heard and you want to join us in Glorious Revolution, you can like and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast fix. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at HeyAdoraCast, or you can email us at HeyAdoraCast at gmail.com. 
We have a Patreon! Become a member of the Rebellion and get fantastic perks like bonus episodes, our very own private Facebook group, exclusive playlists, Patreon-only Zoom hangouts, and so, so much more. You can find the link to our Patreon, as well as the link to this week's Spotify playlist, Light Hope, in our show notes, or at heyadora.gay. That's right, .gay. And remember, queer joy is radical. And queer love saves the universe! We have nothing to lose but our chains! Pegacorns of the world unite! <laughs> <laughs>